Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, I I have such a, a hunger to learn as a disciple of Jesus, and I thank you that in your word I can find the things that I need to to live life according to that which pleases you. And that's my heart, God. And for us in here tonight, our heart, God, is to hear from you, like Pastor Frank said, to be doers of your word, not just merely hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And so I pray, God, that you will find that our hearts are receptive when your word challenges us, that we not reject it, but we embrace it. That when your word calls us to a higher standard, that we embrace it. Not cast off restraint, but we embrace it. For we want to be like you, Jesus. We want to follow your example that you have set for us, Jesus. That we can model to those who are in desperate need of you, that they may see our lives and see something that we have And it just, in them, creates a desire to want to know what it is that we have that they don't. And so I just pray tonight that you speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, like Pastor Frank said, I am an operational director at the South Carolina School of Leadership. Uh, Basically, my portfolio deals a lot with social media. It deals a lot with admissions. And so I have the privilege of getting to know students who are interested, who are drawn by, by God to be interested in giving up nine months of their life to Jesus. I mean, what a great honor it is to be able to speak with them and talk with them and and then to see the transformation that takes place in their lives when they give nine months of their life to Jesus. And so that's just a little bit of what I get to do. Um, I have a beautiful wife, Alyssa, who is over here, and she loves when I do this. But I have a beautiful wife, Alyssa. We've been married for about five years now. We have a three-year-old boy whose name is Everett. We named him Everett because it means brave, and we desire for our son to be brave in his pursuit of the Lord to not be ashamed in the ways that we shall teach him and train him, that he not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we wanted him to be brave, so we named him Everett. And uh, we uh, just recently bought a home, so God has been good to us. Anyways, enough about me. Let's open up the word of God into Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the B attitudes. In other words, the attitudes that we ought to be as believers, as Christ followers, as disciples. The B attitudes. You guys need to talk a little bit. How about turn to your neighbor, say B attitude. The attitudes we ought to be. All right, we there? Matthew chapter 5. All right. And what we see in Matthew chapter 5, we see um, Jesus pulling the disciples in close. And we see a great crowd beginning to gather around Jesus as he begins to teach or as he begins to, to preach. And so here he has his disciples that he's pulling in close, and he has a great crowd around him that are listening to these words that he is saying. We'll begin in verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so we see this, this crowd gathering around Jesus and his disciples there with him. And we see Jesus began his preaching with blessings. He began his preaching with blessings. And one of the first recorded teachings or preachings by Matthew in the book of Matthew, we see Jesus began his preaching with blessings. For it is the heart of God that we shall be blessed. For it is the will of God that we be blessed. For Jesus came into the world to bless us. But it's so important that we understand what it means to be blessed. Before you get the wrong idea of what I'm about to preach or what I'm about to teach, it's important that we understand what it means to be blessed. See, the the word idea behind the Greek word used for blessed is happy. But in its truest godly form, it is not to be misinterpreted for our culture's idea of what it means to be happy. Because there's so much confusion in our world today behind this idea of being blessed. There's so much confusion around the definition of what it means to be blessed. Listen, if you go on social media then I think it doesn't take you long to begin to be confronted, to begin to buy into this idea that being blessed is the amount that you travel. That being blessed is the amount of money that you make or the ability that you have to do something, whether it's play basketball, whether it's football, right? We see athletes who are interviewed after games and they had a great game and they say, man, I'm just blessed. And due to this confusion, it's so easy for us to begin to buy into this idea that being blessed is based upon our wealth or our riches or our status. Honestly, there's just so much confusion. And what we find in Jesus's teaching contradicts what most would consider being blessed to mean. He takes our way of thinking and he, he flips it upside down where he gives us this paradigm shift. And his words are not blessed shall be, but blessed are. Isn't that good? It's not just futuristic, but it's something that is obtainable now. Blessed are. And so we see in the, the Beatitudes, Jesus makes some outlandish statements. Just some off-the-wall, okay, sir, you have my attention now kind of statements. And to one sect of people, he begins to say things that are just crazy. 
And to another sect of people, he's saying things and it's drawing them in and they're intrigued. And for the first time, maybe in their life, he's offering to them hope. When he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Come on, that's outlandish. That's off the wall. Like, wow, this is crazy. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Excuse me, sir, what are you talking about? This is crazy. Then to others who would consider themselves blessed or or poor in spirit, it's offering to them hope. And Jesus' teaching, it, it contradicts what culture would consider to be blessed because culture and society would say blessed are the rich, not the poor. Blessed are those who are happy, not those who mourn. Blessed are the strong, not the meek. Blessed are those who take revenge, not those who are merciful. See, listen to me, a lot of people get it twisted and, and then we can form a wrong idea or a wrong notion of happiness or a wrong notion of what it means to be blessed. And if we do this, then we'll begin to pursue this false understanding, choosing our own, mis, our own misguided understanding. And so we'll begin to, you see this happen a lot with young people. We see them pursue things like money, You ask them what they want to do with their life and they'll say something that they think will give them a lot of money. I wanted to be an engineer, but I hated science. That doesn't go together, but they made a lot of money. But we see it happen all the time because they think if I have a good enough job, then I will be blessed and I'll be happy because of the amount of money that I make. And so they pursue money because that thing... They think that's what will help them be blessed. Or they pursue a sport because they think if they just practice hard enough and get good enough at a sport, then they'll be famous because people will know them for their sport or they'll be rich because they made amount of money because they're good at a certain sport. Or maybe it's a title. If I just work hard enough, if I can just be a CEO or if I could just have this position at my work or my company that I work for, then I will be blessed. And I can post it on Instagram or Facebook and everyone will cheer for me. See, the general understanding is blessed are they that are rich, blessed are they that are great, blessed are, uh, blessed are those who are famous in the world because they spend their days in pleasure They have the best of everything. But then Jesus comes along and Jesus begins to correct this fundamental error. He begins to attack the foundations in which we as believers are building upon. Because if our foundation is correct, then the things that we begin to add onto it will also be correct and will be strong and will be firm. And so he attacks the foundation And he gives us a new notion or a new way of thinking. And in essence, church, it carries the heart of the gospel. This is good. Are you listening? That rather you are rich or poor, rather mourning or rejoicing, rather weak or strong, outcast or favorite, greatest or least, you can be blessed. And God wants you to be blessed. That you're not defined by your circumstance carries the heart of the gospel. 
And so Jesus gives us eight characters of blessed people. You want to be blessed? I want to be blessed. We want to have a right understanding of what it means to be blessed? He gives us eight characters of blessed people. And attached to each of these statements is a heavenly blessing. And listen to me, a heavenly blessing far outweighs any earthly gain that you can ever obtain. And each of them speak to a present blessing and a future blessing to come. Isn't that great? God's not just interested in blessing you now, but he has it in his heart to continue to bless you. God's not just interested in blessing you in the future, but he wants to bless you now also. Isn't that great? And he starts by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to be willing to be emptied of worldly wealth. And that's not to say that you can't have money, all right? It's not saying that we are insignificant or personally without value. That would be so silly. That would be untrue. It's not pride or pretense, deceit, trying to act like or or trying to fake it to make ourselves look poor by throwing away what God has given us. No, church, God gives. And he gives generously. But Job was a man who was poor in spirit when he blessed God and he said, he blessed God in his taking away and he blessed God in his giving as well. He said, and this is recorded in Job 121. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Church, are you there right now? That if God took away, you would say praise be to God? Because it's easy when he gives, right? But are we there? Are we poor in spirit? God, you give, you take away. Praise be to your name. And it's not to say that God desires to, to take, but it's just recognizing that Jesus is sufficient, that he is all that we need. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, verse 7 and 9. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness. of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So being willing to be emptied of worldly wealth, God, whatever you take from me, praise be to you, God. You give to me, thank you, God, whatever it be. To be poor in spirit is also being humble and lowly in our own eyes. In other words, to think humbly of ourselves, to think humbly of of what we are, to think humbly of what we have, to think humbly of what we do. This is challenging. And Paul was a man who demonstrated this greatly. He described himself as the least of the apostles in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. 
He also says that he's less than the least of all saints in Ephesians 3.8. I would argue with him. But it's to acknowledge that God is great. We are inferior. That he is holy and, and we are sinful. We fall short. That he is all and we are nothing. Less than nothing. Worse than nothing. Right? To humble ourselves before him and under his mighty hand. To be poor in spirit is to remove all confidence in our own righteousness and strength, to depend only upon Christ Jesus for our justification and the spirit of grace that Jesus has for our sanctification. See, the poor spend their life in need. And we too ought to spend our days recognizing that we have a great need for Jesus a great need for Jesus. When is the last time that, that, and I'm talking to myself, praise God, I did it this morning, but when is the last time that we got on our knees before God and we cried out saying, I need you. I need you. See, this beatitude is first because this is where we start with God. And the good news is everyone can start here. It isn't first blessed are the pure or the holy or the the spiritual or the wonderful. Everyone can be poor in spirit. Everyone can start here. It's not what I have, but what I have not. It's the first point of contact for our soul, between our soul and God. I need you. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Are you listening? It says, The poor in spirit are lifted from the dung hill and set not among hired servants in the field, but among princes in the kingdom. Poor in spirit. The words sound as if they are described the owners of nothing, yet they describe the inheritors of all things. Happy poverty. I thought that was funny. Millionaires sink into insignificance. The treasure of the Indies evaporate in smoke, while to the poor in spirit remains a boundless, endless, faultless kingdom, which renders them blessed in the esteem of him who is God over all, blessed forever. I think that's worthy of amen. Jesus goes on to teach. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, the the Greek grammar indicates an intense, an intense degree of mourning, as if someone just passed, someone that you love just passed. Jesus does not speak of a casual sorrow when he says, mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for the consequences of our sin, but a deep grief a godly sorrow over our fallen state. Listen, the godly reaction to our poverty of spirit, to our poor in spirit, the godly reaction is mourning. When's the last time you've mourned over your sin? 
mourned over the consequences of your sin or the sin of others, the state of humanity where America is today because of our fallenness and our sin. You know, pastor preached the other Sunday, he was talking about being concerned about the father's heart, having interest when he was talking about the prodigal son, having an interest in the father's heart. Did the older brother take into consideration his father's heart when his brother left with the inheritance? And we too ought to have a concern for our father's heart. Was he not so invested in the condition of man that he sent his only son, sparing no expense, he sent his only son to die for our sins. Church, I'm not under the belief that God desires for us to be in depression or that God desires for us to to have self-hatred. For our fruit of the Spirit is joy. But can I tell you something, as Pastor Chitty would say, loved ones, the greater our understanding of the power of his death and resurrection, the greater is our measure of joy. When we understand the price that he paid and the significance, man, the power of his death and resurrection, it brings us joy Philippians 3.10 says, this is Paul, he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participants in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. For our reward when we have this godly, godly sorrow and when we mourn our reward is that we are comforted. And it's not just a prescription. It's, it's a transaction that takes place that we come to him with our sorrow and, in, and a transaction takes place where he gives us comfort. Jesus continues, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. In the vocabulary of the Greek language, the meek person was not passive, not easily pushed around. The, the main idea behind the word meek was strength under control. It's like a, a, a strong stallion that was trained to do the job instead of running wild. That's the type of imagery that was used. You know, perhaps we have a tendency to think of meek differently. The first two, first two beatitudes are mostly inward and the third deals with how we relate with others. Are we meek with others? To be meek means to show a willingness to submit. It's not weak. It's meek. A willingness to submit and to work under proper authority. God is our authority. And to work under his authority. It shows a willingness to disregard our own rights and privileges. Man, if we ever have ever lived in a time of rights, my goodness. I have a right to be offended. The meek 
They are meek before God. They submit to his word and they submit to his will. We too ought to submit to his word and to his will. And if we do so, we shall inherit the earth. See, there's no reason for concern to be meek. There's no reason to to be concerned. Spurgeon notes it this way. He says, it looks as if they would be pushed out of the world, speaking of the meek, but they shall not be for they shall inherit the earth. We're not pushed aside to be meek. We're not being pushed aside or or trampled upon or or rolled over. That's not the meek. The meek shall inherit the earth. We're not an afterthought. Are you listening? This is good news. Goes on and says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And building off of his previous statements, Jesus knows that the desire of the one who has poverty of spirit, mourning for sin, and meekness is righteousness. This describes a profound hunger. Maybe you can relate. You ever been just so hungry? I'm not just hungry. It's a profound hunger. Perhaps the language that's often used is, I'm starving. (laughs) But it's a profound hunger, not one that could be satisfied by just a snack. This is a deep, this is a longing that endures and is never completely satisfied on this side of eternity. That kind of hunger for righteousness. His passion is real, just like hunger and thirst are real, amen? His passion is natural, just like hunger and thirst are natural for us. His passion is intense, just like hunger and thirst can be. His passion is painful, just like real hunger and thirst can cause pain. You ever fasted before? His passion is a, a driving force. That was comical to me because if you can relate that to being hungry or thirsty, it can be a driving force. I'll eat anything when I'm hungry. Whether I like it or not, I'm just hungry. And this passion is a sign of health. Just like being hungry and thirsty shows health. We see Christians hungering for many things in our world today. Power, authority, success, happiness. But how many of us hunger and thirst for righteousness, for right living, whatever the cost? See, it's not enough for me to just know that my sins are forgiven. Man, I praise God that my sins are forgiven. That is powerful but it's not enough to just know that my sins are forgiven. See, I still have moments where I fall short. Am I the only one in here? But man, our nature can be changed. Oh, that our nature would be changed. That once in my life I hungered and I thirst for the desires of my flesh, but now, now I desire, I hunger and I thirst for holiness before God. And simple enough, our reward 
is that we shall be filled. See, I don't have to wonder if my pursuit is in vain, and instead I can be assured that I will be filled. And you know, the thing about this feeling, it's a strange feeling. It satisfies us, but it keeps us longing for more. A hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Jesus keeps going. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, the one who is expected to show mercy is the one that has been given mercy. Anyone in here, you've been given mercy? Isn't this great? That because we've experienced the mercies of God, we in turn want to give it. And a lot of times that's how God gives. He gives that we also might give. And I remind us, mercy is not being given that which we deserve to be given. For the reward of being merciful is that we too will be shown mercy. You know, David was a great example of this. And perhaps one reason God gave David such mercy was because David was notably merciful to King Saul. Notably merciful. I mean, times where he could have killed him, a time where he could have killed him while he was relieving himself (laughs) by all means. That's a terrible way to go out. But he showed mercy. Why? Because this was God's chosen king. Several occasions, David was kind to a very unworthy Saul. In David, the merciful obtained mercy. And when we recognize and when we grasp the fact that we have been given mercy by God, it should in turn cause us to want to be merciful to others. Jesus goes on, he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Two things connected to this. Number one, it's addressing our internal or our inner moral purity. As opposed to the outward appearance, man, the the Pharisees are really good at this, right? They were really good at outwardly looking like they had it all together, like they were religious and right with God. But this is attacking our inner moral purity, not just outward appearance or or an outward cleansing, but an inner work, an inner dealing with our moral purity. And number two, an undivided heart. An undivided heart that those who are utterly sincere, not divided in their affections or in their devotion or in their commitment to God. God, you can't just have some of me. You can have all of me. Church, that's tough. But that's where we should be. That when we said yes to Jesus, it wasn't just a 50%, you can have some of me. But when we say yes to Jesus, it's an all in. It's a forsaken all else. And to be pure in heart is to have an undivided heart. That God, I love you with all my heart. Yes, I love my wife. Yes, I love my kid. 
but that's out of the overflow of my love for you. I love you with all my heart, and therefore I ought to love my wife and my kid and my family and so on and so forth. But God, you can have all my heart. It's not blessed are the pure in language or blessed are the pure in action. It's blessed are the pure in heart. For God sees the heart. You can't fake it with God. And I don't say that to condemn you. God's not after condemning you, but he loves you. And there's nothing you can hide from him. So in this, the pure of heart receive the most wonderful reward. Blessed are the pure in heart for what is the reward? They shall see God. And how many times have you been in conversation with people and they're like, where's the evidence of God? I can't see God. If you're pure in heart, guess what the reward is? You shall see God. We shall enjoy greater intimacy with God than we could ever have imagined. We'll begin to see God in nature. We'll begin to see God in scripture. We'll begin to see God in his church family. We'll begin to see God, church. I want to see God. Jesus goes on and he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And I want to close with this last one because I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to use this particular scripture to close out tonight. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Don't get too excited. That doesn't mean I'm closing in two minutes, all right? Some of you are like, sweet. (laughs) Blessed are they who are pure towards God and then peaceable towards others. Do you see how Jesus is building from this first beatitude to where we are now, do you see how he's building? And if you can be pure towards God, then guess what? You can be peaceable towards others. If you try to just be peaceable towards others without being pure towards God, it's very difficult. Because when we're pure towards God, when we love God, guess what happens as a byproduct? We love other people. Because you can't just love God and hate everyone else. It doesn't work that way. God is love. And so it starts here, uh, a pure heart towards God, and then we can be peaceable towards others. And God desires for us to be peaceable towards others. It's a big deal to him how we treat other people. And it's a big deal to God that we love others the same way that Christ loves us. Again, church, I know this is difficult, but it's important and it matters to God. So the next time we excuse the way that we treat someone, whether they're deserving or not, it's irrelevant. It matters to God. And he wants everyone that we come in contact with to to have experienced the love of God by the way that we've loved them. And honestly, it's not always that hard. Sometimes, yes. But a word of encouragement 
sometimes isn't all that difficult. Anyways, let me move on. So we have to ask ourselves the question, am I for peace? All right, 10 second delay. Think about that question. Am I for peace? See, before we just immediately respond in our head or in our heart, yes, of course, this ridiculous question. Before we just write it off, ask yourself, am I for peace? Let me ask you some follow-up questions. Do you desire to have peace within your home? Do you desire to have peace with your spouse? Do you desire to have peace with your kids? See, perhaps immediately we're confronted with this, oh man, yeah, I am, okay. Struggle's real. Immediately you might be confronted with a problem. But to the best of your ability, do you fight to maintain the peace in your home? Do you fight to have peace with one another? Or do we have a tendency, let's be honest with ourselves, be honest before God, do we have a tendency to add or to create discord? I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but what's our tendency? What about at work? Listen, as Christ's followers, we must be for peace and we must fight for peace. And as far as we can, all right, I'm gonna give you a list because I think this is so important that we be peacemakers. Let me give you five different things, okay? As far as we can, in the context of being peacemakers, as far as we can, we should do the following. We should preserve the peace that it not be broken, all right? Preserve the peace that it not be broken. In other words, fight to keep peace that it not be broken, that it's not broken, okay? An illustration that maybe will help. If we have a quarterback and his name is Peace and you are the offensive lineman. Your job is to protect that quarterback, the Peace, from a sack or being rushed or being hurried. Okay, those are football terms. But it is your job to protect the quarterback if you're an offensive lineman. Our job is to protect the Peace. As an offensive lineman, we are to protect peace, that it not get to the peace, that it not break the peace, that it not get to where the peace has officially been broken. Are you following with me? Are you fighting? Secondly, recover the peace when it is broken. Recover the peace when it is broken. Can I ask you a question? And this was, this, this touched my heart here. Do you care and love God and people enough to recover a relationship that has been broken? See, I've worked with young people for a while now, and there's this new thing called ghosting. Maybe you've heard of it. It's where I text you and you don't respond. I text you again and you still don't respond. You never respond. And instead of just responding to me or telling me that you have a problem or, hey, I, I just don't want to be friends with you, which would be hurtful, but at least you told me. Instead, it's just, it's called ghosting. You just don't hear from me at all. I'm a ghost now. And I see a generation that's being raised in that. 
that when a relationship has been broken, oh well, that there's, there's no desire to recover a relationship when it is broken. And we need to care and love people enough that when it's been broken, that we go after it to recover it. You know, a lot of times we're guilty of being too selfish. We're guilty of being too offended or too hurt to recover a relationship. Praise be to God that he did not do that, right? With us. I'll get to more on that in a minute. And listen, I understand I'm not judging. I have not been perfect in this. But I'm trying to call us. Jesus is trying to call us to a higher standard of living. He's raising the bar that we ought to fight to recover peace when it is broken in our home, in our relationships with others. Blessed are those who seek to recover the peace when it is broken. Number three, listen to others' offers of peace ourselves. I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but we're not perfect, right? Sometimes we... We don't act right. I used to have a friend whose mom would say, boy, you better act right. Yes, ma'am. But sometimes we, we don't act right. And, and blessed are we when we have people that God has surrounded us with or God has placed in our life. I mean, we're praying for small groups. Blessed are you if you're in a small group and you're surrounded with people who love God and have your best interest in mind. Blessed are you if you have people in your life who are willing to point it out to you when you're in error. Perhaps it's your spouse. But we're blessed when we have people in our life who could point it out to us when we are in error. And they offer us an invitation to be reconciled. They give us an offer of peace. And we should listen to them. And not be so ignorant to reject the very people that God has placed in our life. The the people that God are using to, to bring us back on track. Number four, be ready to make peace with others. Be ready to make peace with others. Are you ready? Because when he's, when, when we're ready, we're in a posture, we're in a position, we're in a state of mind when we're ready. We're not caught off guard, but we're ready. We're looking out for it. Be ready to make peace with others. Listen, people are going to wrong you. Come on, I know you guys have been living longer than I have, some of you, but people are going to wrong you. And kids are not perfect. (laughs) I have a three-year-old now, I can say that. But we ought to be quick to forgive. We ought to do everything we can to make things things right with others. Whether we are in the wrong or they are in the wrong, we ought to be quick to forgive and quick to make things right with others. And, and remember, forgiveness is primarily for you. I mean, sure, when someone forgives me, it means a lot to me, but it's primarily for you so that you can set them free, so that you can set them free of any um, unforgiveness in your own heart, any bitterness that you have towards them. Number five, repair any damage that has been done. You know this, apologies can go a long way. I think the thing that means most to my wife is when I say I'm sorry. That's her love language. 
when I say sorry. I'm halfway joking, am I? The making of peace is sometimes a thankless job. You ever fought tooth and nail really hard to have peace with someone? And then it just goes unnoticed? Perhaps with a kid or with your spouse? But it, it can be that way. Fighting for peace can be a thankless job. But I want you to be encouraged that though you may never be told thank you or your efforts never really appreciated or, or even noticed, God says that you will be blessed. Because the blessing attached to Jesus' words state that we will be called children of God. That's a big deal. And it serves to evi- as evidence to us and it serves as evidence to other people that we resemble Jesus in this way. Because we are called to be peacemakers, not peace breakers. That was not Jesus. That is not the heart of the Father that we be peace breakers. But instead, we shall be peacemakers. Galatians points out to us that the ungodly love to be involved with such things associated with peace breakers. In Galatians 5, verse 19, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, here we go, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy all in context to what we're talking about. That's the sinful nature. That's the ungodly love to be involved in these things, but we ought not be. Rather be peacemakers. Beatitudes. The attitudes we should be, and Jesus desires to use us to help make and bring peace to those around us. And the reward, we are recognized, acknowledged as true children of God and we shall be blessed. So why do it? Do it for God's sake. Let that be all the motivation that you need for it pleases the Father. And our desire as Christ's followers should, should be that we act like, look like, represent Jesus. Do it for God's sake. Daniel, if you and Ray will just come up real quick. Just Ray? Okay. You're so humble. Listen, there was a time when I, for sure, and you as well, were not at peace with God. There was a time where the peace was broken a time when our sin broke the peace and union that we had with God. God, who did no wrong in the relationship, no wrong in there being a peace that was broken, no wrong to be treated as such by us when he created us, when he loved us, But even still, he sought to recover the peace that had been broken. And 
church, he spared no expense, sending his only son, Jesus, to take the punishment. Yes, I know that I've told you this. My goal was to present to you the gospel tonight. So if I've done it more than once, then praise be to God. But he spared no expense in seeking to recover the peace that had been broken. And he sent Jesus to die on a cross, to take the punishment that we deserved. And Jesus putting himself between God and us became the peacemaker. And he hung on that cross and he took it from both sides. You see, because God is a holy God and we are a sinful people. And he took it from both sides, the punishment of our sins from God and the humiliation of being hung on a cross and the insults being thrown at him as he hung on that cross. He took it from both sides. Yet offering peace, offering a peace between us and God. You see, if you've ever If you've ever broken the law, if you've ever stole, if you've ever looked wrong at a woman or a man and lusted in your heart, if you've ever cheated, come on, we're, we're guilty. We are guilty. There's no way around it. We are guilty, but there's a reason why it's called the good news. Come on, church, we should be excited about this. There's a reason why it's called the good news. And whether you've been saved 30 years of your life or six months of your life, it should never get old. Now, Jesus loved us enough to hang on that cross, to take it from both sides, and to offer a peace treaty between us and God to be made right with God. Come on, if there's any freedom in your life, it is because you have been made right with God. So listen to me. If you're right with God, if you've been saved and you're doing this thing well, and that's great. That is great. Please, please go out of here tonight still moved by this act, still moved by this sacrifice, still motivated in your life to do this thing for Jesus. And if you have not yet received this offer to be made right with God, please do so tonight. I just need to think about it, Pastor Bunk. Don't think long tomorrow is not promised and every day we see a new tragedy strike every day we see people that we love we we, we know people that are receiving bad news or bad medical reports whatever the case may be my point is if you're not right with God the invitation is there God has done more than you could have ever asked or imagined to make it easy for you All it takes is faith to receive 
that God loves you enough. That he loves you so much that he brought his only son, Jesus, into this world to take upon the punishment that you deserved. And all you have to do is receive. And lastly, I want to say, if Jesus has extended such an effort to be a peacemaker, we too ought to extend every effort to make peace, to bring peace, to let God use us as peacemakers. Amen. So here's what I want to do tonight. If you'll close your eyes and pray with me, the invitation is there. The gospel has been shared. And it was God's great pleasure to adopt you into his family. You hear me? It was his great pleasure. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares and thinks about you. That it was his great pleasure to adopt you into his family. And so, Father, I just pray for, for followers of you in here tonight, people who are in right standing with you, people who are doing this thing well. They've given you their whole heart. I pray that they leave here motivated to do it all the more. Every day is an amazing opportunity to get to know our Creator more. Every day is a great opportunity to receive the love of God and to get to know you on a more intimate level. This is the good news. And may we not be so selfish May we not be so fearful to keep it for ourselves, but we have to share it. People have to know about this good news. And may we be motivated and compelled by love to share that which you have lavished upon us, that which you have freely given to us. And may we fight to show, to demonstrate these eight characters that we've seen in the Beatitude, the attitudes we ought to be. May we Put them into practice. May we be doers of the word of God. Father, lastly, if there's anyone in here who does not know that they're right with you, who has never asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins and to receive by faith this beautiful exchange, then may they do so tonight. So I just pray for them, courage, courage, courage in the name of Jesus to step forward and make the greatest decision they could ever make. Amen, church. Amen. Was Ray plays you or welcome to be dismissed. I would just ask if you are going to be dismissed, maybe make your way if you're going to communicate out there. If you need prayer, I'm here. If there's any other prayer warriors or is Pastor Frank still in here? Anyways, y'all come forward. Let us pray for you. If you need healing, let us pray for you. In Jesus' name, God bless you.